All right. Well, amen. Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, I want to say thank you, church. Um, like Pastor said, my uh, I grew up here. Um, and uh, Pastor had some really encouraging words for me earlier. You said this morning that uh, this May marks 44 years in the ministry. October, 44 years in the ministry. And he was, we, were, we were talking a little bit about um, you know, every time I get up to talk, you know, my, you know, they see the hands shaking. I, I'm not a natural public speaker. I get really nervous. And he goes, oh, I've been preaching here for many years, and it never gets better. So I'm like, all right. So I guess I don't have that to look forward to of that getting any easier. But I want to say thank you, church, so much for everything that you invested in our family. Uh, you know that we have been working on getting... Uh, business visas back to our, our mission field, and the, the process has taken us a lot longer than we, we thought. We're learning a lot, but uh, we are very hopeful that this will give us a lot, uh, a, a safer means of staying in our country for longer periods of time. And uh, we appreciate, appreciate those of you who have helped us with the uh, business side of things, as well as those that pray for us on a regular basis, and those that have uh, encouraged us. It's been really fun um, to uh, watch my kids grow up, you know, partially in the church that I grew up in. I still enjoy, I, I couldn't help but laugh in the sea of children that ran out the door here on their way to, uh, you know, their class. Um, any, anybody, your kids, you know, four, five, six-year-old, they still run out to the car with no coats on this time of year? Is that just my kids? It is, it is wild. But um, it's uh, fun to watch them grow up, and I appreciate you investing in my children. I would warn you, though, please don't let my uh, four-year-old around any of your babies. Uh, we were riding on the, the way to church today. She's sitting in the back seat, and uh, all of a sudden she goes, Mama, Papa, I wish I was one. I wish I was one years old. And we're, Levon and I kind of exchange glances. We're like, Charlotte, why do you wish you were one? She goes, because babies, their heads can turn like way around. And I was, and I was like, and that's very wrong. That's not, you know, she's the younger you are, the more your head can turn around. And I was like, all right. No, yeah, you're not holding any babies. <laughs> all right, but if you would, turn in your Bibles back to those two verses that we read a moment ago. Acts chapter number 11, verse number 26. Of course, uh, um, I always start my messages, or very often start my messages, by telling you I'm going I'm to preach a simple message. That is the case once again this evening. We're going to look at, ver at three very simple terms in our Bibles. And we're going to look at how uh, often they are misunderstood or misused. And I hope that we can come away with a, with a challenge for everybody here tonight. So um, Acts chapter number... 12 or 11, we're going to read verse number 26 again together. I'll pray and we'll begin with the message this evening. It says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole, that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And let's go ahead and pray and we'll begin this evening. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity that we have to be in your house. I thank you for bringing everybody safely into this church, Lord, uh, on the icy sidewalks and icy roads, Lord. And uh, God, we are all here for the same purpose, Lord. We, I ask that you would uh, meet with us tonight. Lord, we all uh, come here with, with needs from you, Lord. We are not enough. 
and we want you to uh, be present in this room tonight. Lord, I ask that you would, uh, God, in my weakness, I pray that you would show your strength. Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, give me utterance. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would uh, hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would uh, uh, guide my heart, guide my mind. I pray that you wouldn't let me say anything that you don't want me to say this evening. And I pray that all of us would have tender hearts uh, ready to receive your word. God, I pray that um, we would all, uh, none of us have uh, uh, hard hearts like we learned about this morning that are just calloused to what you have to say to us. But Lord, I pray that we would uh, be pliable enough to move if our uh, lives do not match up with your word. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start right off the bat. I'm going to tell you the uh, three terms we're going to look at tonight, and then we're going to dive into them. It's going to be a little bit Bible study-ish. Um, I am going to ask, Pastor, when we get rid of all of those chairs, or when we get the new chairs in, maybe we can keep an old one for me to use for illustrations, because I may need a chair tonight. But um, The three terms that we're going to look at tonight is, number one, the term Christian. The second term we're going to look at is we're going to look at the term born again. The third, uh, third term we're going to look at is the word disciple. And so we're going to jump right in and look at this word Christian. The word Christian gets thrown around everywhere we look. There's a lot of things that are labeled Christian. In the, uh, the country where my family does, a lot, does our, our missions work, there are entire groups of people that, based on their last name, are considered Christian, regardless of their belief, regardless of, of, of whether or not they attend a church, what, no matter what, they are considered Christian and will always be considered that, regardless of where their hearts are. Uh, the term Christian in the U.S. gets used very, uh, in a very lackadaisical sort of way. How many of you have noticed that? Right? The, the term Christian is thrown about, you know, you'll, you'll have the most vile, awful people you can imagine that say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And it, you know, o- over time, that term has become muddied. The, the, the word itself has kind of become blurred. And I, I know this is not new territory for most of you in this room, but let's look back again at what the word Christian means. It's only used... Uh, Three times in the Bible, the word Christian and Christians. Um, uh, somebody tell me, what does the word Christian mean? Christ-like. I heard it kind of uh, rumble across the auditorium. Hmm? Body of Christ. So the word Christian means Christ-like. The author C.S. Lewis went farther and he, he said it could be described as being a little Christ. So Christ-like. Um, and uh, this uh, church that we looked at there in Acts chapter number 11, that church in Antioch, they, got given this, they, they were given this label, this label because of their actions. They were doing something extraordinary that stuck out to the point where people saw them and said, they are Christ-like. They are our little Christ. So I want to, uh, to uh, look at a couple things about this term Christian here. Number one is it is a term given by onlookers. It was a term given by observers. 
Nowadays, everybody just claims, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian for no other reason than they want to be a part of a group. But in the, this, this uh, church in Antioch, so extraordinary were their actions, so much did they live their lives like Jesus Christ, their Savior, that the world saw them and said, they're just like Christ. And I've heard a couple of theories on uh, how this came about. Some, it was, it's kind of innocent, and people said, you know, oh, they, these people are you know, doing, doing uh, you know, good things like Jesus was, or helping the poor, you know. And, uh, you know, they're Christians, they're Christ-like. I've also heard the theory that this was given in a, in a mocking tone by the enemies of the church. How many of you have heard that before? You know, they were looking in at the church and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you guys think you're so great. You know, you know what, are you, what are you, little Christs? You know, and it was, kind of, it was kind of done, you know, tongue-in-cheek in a mocking tone. And over time, the church members there, the disciples in Antioch said, well, yeah, yeah, we're Christ-like. And that, and that became uh, what, we now, what we now use today or what we think of today. They were Christ-like. Um, here in New England, there's another term that was used like that. How many of you are familiar with the story of the song Yankee Doodle? Yankee Doodle, right? That was a term that the British gave to the, uh, the colonies you know, the re- in the Revolutionary War to those that would dare stand against the British Empire, and they called them Yankee Doodles. And the, uh, the Americans, they, just, they adopted that, and they made the song Yankee Doodle, saying, yeah, yeah, we're Yankee Doodles, and then we, we're, we, all, we could all sing the song together, right? Yankee Doodle went to town. It was that sort of thing. So Christian, they adopted that, um, so in their case, in the case of the believers at Antioch, the disciples at Antioch, Antioch, it was given because of their extreme behavior, and it made them stand out. I want you to realize this. They earned that title. They earned that title. Now, again, I don't want to confuse anybody with this, okay? We do not earn our salvation. Remember that. Christian is a title not a condition. Christian is a title, not a condition of the heart. Can you earn your salvation? No, you cannot. But can I live my life in such a way that onlookers will look at me and say, that man is Christ-like? Yes. Yes. Yes, I can do that. This comes with two additional thoughts. And again, we're going somewhere with this. We're going to have a kind of slow start. Um, two points under this. And I want you to think about this. Again, I don't want to twist up anybody's doctrine or add to any confusion here. I can be saved, right? I can, I, my, I can have given my heart to Jesus Christ. I can be saved and on my way to heaven but not living in a Christ-like manner? Am I being a Christian? No. Right? Do I deserve that title Christian if I am not Christ-like? Even if I'm saved? No. No, It makes us think a little bit. Second thought. I can be saved or I'm sorry, I can be unsaved, I could be lost, I could have a lost heart and look so much like a follower of Christ, 
that that label could be mistakenly stamped on me. I could be confused as a Christian when I'm not. How, how could that happen? Right? We humans, we're visual creatures, right? Has anybody ever made the mistake of wearing khakis and a blue polo shirt into Walmart before? Hey, you know where I'm going with this, right? I've done that on more than one occasion, Pastor. I walk in innocently with my khakis and blue polo, and before I know it, People are, you know, tugging on my shirt sleeve. Uh, Mister, can you, can you please tell me where the, you know, where the crackers are? You know, can you please tell me where I can find balloons? And I'm like, oh, man, I forgot to clock in, right? And, you know, that we, we, we can be mistaken and given a title for something, you know, something that we do not belong to. I can be mistaken as a Christian based on how I look. So I'm trying to hammer home the thought, this idea that um, Christian is simply a label. It is simply a label, and its origins were it was given by onlookers based on how they live their lives. So uh, one of the challenges that I want to give us tonight, and we're going we're to loop back around to this at the end, is are we deserving of being called Christian? Am I Christ-like? I could be saved, but can I call myself Christ-like? I want us to think about that. Um, Our first term there, Christian, it is, I am not trying to diminish the importance of it. It is an important term, um, but it is not nearly as important as this second term we're going to look at. And we're going to spend a bit of time here. It's going to be a little bit Bible study-esque for a little while. Uh, Our second term here is born again. Turn to John chapter number 3, verse number 1. Again, very familiar portion of scripture here. John chapter 3, verse number 1. We're going to read the first three verses there together. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there we see that term, born again. I I will recognize once again, I know you are familiar with these terms, but we are going somewhere with this. Our second term is born again. Our first was Christian. Christian is what? It is a label given by onlookers, right? It means Christ-like. Born again is our fixed state once we accept Christ as our Savior. This is something that we do not earn. This is our fixed state in Christ once we are saved. Uh, So what does born again mean? Born again means to be regenerated. It means to be 
made alive again. It means to be quickened. And I want to look at a a little bit of brief history on this. We're going to use our Bibles here. Uh, Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 7. I understand it's really cold outside and your fingers might still be cold, but let's uh, do our best to turn our pages here. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. We're going to look at a little bit about this idea of being born again. Why do we need to be born again? You know, we, we, sometimes we might throw that term around and not think about it too much. Verse number 7 of chapter 2 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed unto his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Uh, God made Adam uniquely. He, he, he took the time to form him. He was formed of earthly matter, but he breathed into him something that was not earthly. When he became a living soul, he was given this unique ability with a, of a spirit that could communicate directly with God. He was given a spirit that could communicate directly with God. And we know that that seemed to be a regular occurrence where uh, God would come in the cool of the day and communicate with Adam. And they had a a wonderful relationship. Um, But there was a condition on that living spirit that Adam was given. Turn uh, Turn to verse number 16 of chapter number two. So this is the condition that was given on that living spirit. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So what is God saying there? He's saying once you eat of that fruit, once you disobey, once you sin, you die. And we know this story that when Adam ate that fruit, he did not immediately die physically. Something worse happened. We actually witnessed the death of that spirit that could communicate with God. Remember that that intended purpose of us being able to communicate with God directly, that was was killed, that was destroyed. Um, But God immediately set about a method of restoration for that. And, if, and again, we've been, Pastor, you've been studying through the Old Testament for a long time and probably a long time still. And uh, we're reading through the Old Testament. Those of you who are following the, uh, the uh, yearly uh, uh, Bible study calendar, much of the Old Testament, a whole bunch of it is dedicated to God laying out a plan to reconnect communication and fellowship with his creation, to reconnect fellowship with man. And painstakingly so. We see God uh, command Moses to construct a tabernacle, right? And then if you read uh, Leviticus and Numbers, the intricate, uh, uh, like excruciatingly intricate uh, ceremonies and sacrifices and priesthoods and garments, you know, it's, it's enough to make our head spin, but all of that was just to... Uh, try to, to, in some small fashion, mend again temporarily that communication with God that Adam lost when that spirit died. And it, again, the whole, the whole, it's a beautiful story of God of, uh, planning to mend that. And then, of course, comes Jesus. 
the final sacrifice, who came to, to die. Remember, uh, the law was broken with flesh and demanded a death. Jesus was that sacrifice, and he fulfilled it in the flesh for us. And he gives us that opportunity to regenerate, to quicken, to make alive again what? That spirit, that spirit that died when we saw that death of that spirit in Genesis, to make that spirit live again. Again, familiar verses. Turn to Ephesians chapter number two. Ephesians chapter number two for, you know, sake of a, 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 a better way to describe it is um, chapter one, Paul is talking to, uh, talking to the uh, church at Ephesus there and he, he's really almost praising the Lord excitedly for the faith of this church. And, he's, and he, he spills over into chapter number two and you can see the excitement in his voice as we read this. Um, and he goes in there and he starts talking about this idea of being born again. And he uses the term quickened. Quickened means uh, to, be, uh, to be made alive. You know, we, we were familiar with quicksand. We all were afraid of falling into quicksand when we were kids, right? Um, it was called quicksand because it looked like it was a lie. When you tried to struggle out of it, it like slurped you down in. So uh, quick meaning alive. Quickened meaning to be made alive again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. So he's excitedly talking to them, and he says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in what? Trespasses and sin, right? So it was made alive. Why? Because you were dead. You used to be dead. Uh, verse number two. Wherein in times past he walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Um, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by the nature, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He's saying, You remember what you used to be? You know, children of wrath, sinful, stuck in that, that, that vile, old, natural man. How many of you remember that? How many of you remember before you were quickened? How many of you remember what God saved you from? I was just talking to my wife this morning. I'm coming up on my eighth spiritual birthday. When right there in the back row, I, I, I broke down into tears. You think I look ugly now. You should see this guy cry. And I walked the aisle and I got saved in pastor's office. And I look back at the, what I used to be, what my heart used to be like. I, I, I can draw perfect parallels there with uh, verse number two and verse number three. That old man that I used to be. Um, this isn't part of the message, but I want to uh, stop here real quick. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for you while you were yet a sinner? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I want to give you this warning and this encouragement at the same time. When we look out at the world, when we turn on the news, when we look at what's happening, and we see the filth and the vileness that is just spewing around out there, it shocks us, right? And it should. But those are natural men and natural women that have not been quickened. They are doing exactly what sinful people are supposed to do. They are living exactly the way the natural man does live, like in verse number two and three there. You can't fix their sin. Don't try to fix their sin. 
You're going, you're going to beat your head against the wall trying to make a sinful person stop sinning. What you can do is you can share Christ with them and God can change their heart and God can cleanse them from their sin. Sometimes we, we're excited that God died for us while we were yet sinners, but we forget God died for them while they're sinners too. Give them the same grace that God gave you. Christ died for the world while they're still sinners. They're acting just the way they're supposed to. So share Christ with them. That's a side note. That's not in the message. Verse number four. But God, who is rich in mercy, amen, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Verse number five. Even when we were what? Dead in sins. Hath quickened us. He made us alive. Right? Together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. There again, what was made alive? That spirit, right? Why? Why did it need to be made alive? It was dead, right? Born again. We needed to be born again because our spirits were dead. It's an exciting thing there. Being born again is literally our dead spirit being reborn. A reborn spirit can now communicate directly with God. Aren't you glad you don't have to go kill a chicken or a cow or a goat and sprinkle blood on, on a piece of furniture? Aren't you glad you don't have to go to a priest and tell him your prayers so he can tell it to, tell it to God? Aren't you glad you don't have to sit on one side of a veil and hope that God's listening to you? Aren't you glad you don't have to follow intricate ceremonies to try to get your prayers answered? If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, your spirit has been born again. You can now communicate with God again. That, that, that spiritual death that happened in Genesis there, if you're born again, that's fixed. Your spirit's alive. That's an exciting thing. Uh, let's continue. Um, verse number five. Even, uh, I think we did that one already. Yeah. No more priests. No more veil. No more sacrifices. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. And what is grace, church? Right? God giving us what we don't deserve. Unearned, you know, unmerited favor of God. Nothing can we do that could ever earn the, even the chance of having our spirit quickened again. It is because of God's grace we are saved. But we have to do something. But we know by verse number nine, it's not works. Right? It's not our works that save us. What is required? Faith. 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 When we display faith, grace is given. I think I, I said last time I preached, I don't like uh, cryptic terms. I like things explained very simply to me because I have a, I'm kind of uh, dense. Anybody else like me willing to raise your hand? I don't like things put in, in real fancy terms. So I'd like to talk a little bit about faith just briefly because it is integral. It is of the utmost importance when we talk about being born again because there's nothing we do, it is faith. So what is faith? And we, we, we're all pretty familiar with um, the biblical definition of faith. You know, faith is, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not th uh, things not seen. But I would like to separate a little bit 
in a practical manner exactly what faith is and how we uh, display that to God. Um, first of all, we need to be clear uh, of what faith is not. Faith is not simply believing. Believing is, believing is part of it, but faith is not simply believing. What is believing? Somebody. What does it mean to believe? Accept something as a fact, right? Accept that something is true. Um, I, I, uh, Brother Trelore, who, who are your strongest teenagers in the room? Is it the girls or boys? We got. <laughs> I, I, I see like the guys up here, like, oh no. Can I, can I get you three guys to help me here real quick? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do something here. Um, uh, you three, all three of you, come on up. Thank you. All right, so when I look at these guys, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a, a, a small example of faith, okay? I look at these guys, they all, they all look strong. Like, see, when I see these, these muscles here, Right? It's like hitting a piece of wood. Uh, Lincoln looks like he's been chiseled out of marble, right? And right over here, like his back is about double what mine is. And it's all just, you know, probably rippling with muscles, right? These three guys look really strong to me. Um, and so, I'm going to use one of these chairs here. All right, I'm going to have you stand right here. You stand right here. Take a step this way just a little bit. I'm not if you have you. You're going to be my safety guy. All right, guys, put your arms out. Okay. Whew. I believe these guys can carry me. But I weigh 200 pounds. That's a lot of weight, right? Guys, it's a lot of weight. I'm looking at these guys. I believe they are strong. I believe that they are in shape. I believe they could probably carry 200 pounds. Have I put my faith in these guys? No, but, but I believe very strongly. I'm looking at his back. I can see nothing beyond him. He's just, you know. This is belief. Yes, these guys can catch me. What is faith? All right, guys, please don't ruin my illustration. <laughs> All right. I believe you guys can catch me. I'm going to put my faith in you. Ready? <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Stay here for a second. Thank you, guys. That is faith. Faith goes beyond simply believing and accepting. I accept it as fact that these three guys could catch me. Faith required me to trust them. And we could kind of look at that in terms of um, repentance. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind, right? Uh, it is it is a uh, it is a change uh, it is it is a change of thinking a change of thinking about what 
in the case of salvation, it is, a, it is me changing my mind on who God really is. God is not just a big man upstairs. God is not just an afterthought. God is the omniscient, all-powerful, all-holy-one creator of the world. My mind changes to that. What else do I repent? What else do I change my mind on? Sin. When my attitude about my, when my mind changes about what my sin actually is, that's repentance. When I change my mind to God and change my mind about my sin, and I, tr- I realize there is nothing I can do to save myself. There is nothing that I can do to try to earn merit with a holy God. My sin is so vile and so disgusting, I have come short of the glory of God. And when I realize that, all I have left is faith. I believe God is holy. I believe God is the creator of everything. But it's when I repent and put, jump my faith into God, that is what salvation is. What a lot of us want, uh, want to do is we want to go like this. All right, all right, God. Uh, all right, so I, I, believe you can, I believe you can hold me, but... but I also, I'm going to keep, uh, I'm going to keep uh, doing good works over here. And, oh, 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 guys, oh, um, I'm, I'm, you know, and we want that kind of thing, right? We want, to, we want God there, but we want to keep our faith in other things as well. We cannot, that is not faith. That is partial faith, which is not faith. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. These guys are never sitting in the front row again. Faith. Faith is required for us to be born again, and it goes beyond simply belief. It's a changing of our mind when it comes to who God is. It's a changing of our mind when it comes to what our sin is and what our sin has done to separate us from God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 says, Your iniquities have have separated between you and your God. We want to keep our sin and also try to put our faith in God. We want to hold on to maybe a, a little bit of faith in, oh yeah, I, I prayed a prayer when I was three. I don't remember it, but you know, and we hold back. We want, we, we want to put our faith in other things sort of as a, you know, like hedge our bets, right? I, I want faith in God, but I also want to do this. That's not faith. Faith is required for us to to be born again. Romans chapter 10, verse 10 through 13, that's your homework. We We know those verses there. Where is your faith? Is your faith simply belief? I I, I mentioned a second ago that I uh, my my eighth spiritual birthday is coming up. I sat in this church for decades. And I believed in God. I sat, I sat in the front row, second row, with the teens for years. I believed in God. I believed everything pastor said, but I had never put my faith in God. It took me finally changing my mind about who God was or who God is and what my sin is and how it separated me from him and humbling myself it took that for me to be truly born again. So we, we got to move on here for sake of time. Are you born again? 
Look at the last term here. We're going to look at uh, number three is the term disciple. A disciple is a follower or a learner or a student. It's actually an interesting fact. The term um, disciple actually changed because of Jesus' ministry. You see, there were disciples before Jesus, was, Jesus came to earth. Uh, disciples were uh, simply uh, learners or students of rabbis. Jewish boys sought the tutelage of respected teachers or rabbis, and large groups of these boys, excuse me, would seek the attention or favor of their favorite rabbi or the most respected rabbi. And uh, after a certain period of time, these rabbis or these teachers would select a number of students that then they would then take underneath their wings to teach and to instill uh, wisdom on and uh, continue their training. Um, when these boys were finally selected by their rabbis, they went to great lengths to please their rabbis. I was doing a little bit of a, um, a reading on this. Uh, they used to, uh, so they would copy their writings uh, verbatim. They uh, would study their history and lineage. They would study their family trees. Uh, they would memorize their writings. Uh, they would copy their eating habits. If their rabbi didn't like fish, a lot of the students would decide, I don't like fish either. Right? Just They would do exactly what their teacher did. Uh, many of them uh, copied their teacher's uh, grooming habits. Teacher was going bald. Well, I guess I'm going to shave the middle of my head because my teacher is going bald. Many of them would copy uh, uh, clothing. Many of them went as far as to uh, copy idiosyncrasies like the way they walked or the way they spoke. So it would not be uncommon to see a rabbi with his, his uh, disciples walking down the street. If the rabbi had a funny walk, guess how all the students were walking? <laughs> Same way. So... Uh, when Jesus came along, and because of his ministry, the, uh, the term disciple uh, shifted somewhat to go beyond simply a learner or a student. It became uh, synonymous with the term follower. Um, and again, we don't have time to go into all these tonight, but Luke chapter 9, Mark chapter 16, and Mark chapter 8 all have very uh, similar, or they, they sort of mirror each other. We're going to uh, look at Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. And I'm going to go ahead and read Luke chapter 14, verse number 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 9, verse number 23 says, let me turn there. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And again, those other passages that I mentioned a second ago, they, they mirror the same sentiment. It's this idea of uh, following Christ and the costs associated with it. Let me just get, make one thing clear for us. If we are saved, we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ. 
If you are a Christian, you are to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are familiar with the 12 apostles, but they were hundreds of men and women in the New Testament and throughout history that are disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are to be uh, disciples as well. What are disciples of Jesus supposed to do? Give up their will to God. Give up control to God. Follow God. Obey God. Or how about this? Memorize the words of your teacher. How about copy the walk of your teacher? How about copy the way Jesus talked? You see, those young boys that followed a rabbi, they did everything in their power to look and act, talk and walk, just like their rabbi. As disciples, us, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should do everything we can to act, talk, and walk like our rabbi, like our Savior, Jesus Christ. I wanna, we're going to uh, turn back to where we started, and this is our last thing we're going to look at here. Leave you with this final thought. Acts 11, verse number 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Who was called Christians? Who were called Christians? Disciples. That is who Christians are. When, you, when we asked ourselves at the beginning of this message, do I live my life in such a manner that I can be called a little Christ, that I can be called Christ-like? I cannot unless I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. So is the term Christian important? Yes, it means, it means a lot to me. Born again is more important than that. So I'm, I'm gonna, I want to ask you this. Are you born again? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ or do you just simply believe in him? And beyond that, if you are saved, are you a disciple? Are you following Jesus and patterning your life after Jesus? Because if we're not, if I am not living in a Christ-like manner, how dare I call myself a Christian? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Pastor. Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank